I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Pack filler. Pack filler. I'm Pat Bolger. I'm Mark Hudson. Pack filler. Welcome to another episode of the Pack Filler Podcast, home to every bad or dumb ass who's ever straddled a top tube. You can be a part of the show on Facebook. Twitter, or dumb old email at info at packfiller.com. Listen while working, training, or just sitting and sipping a cold one. And now your hosts, Pat Bulger and Mark Hodgson. Well, at least half of that is right. I am Pat Bulger in the packfiller.com studios with another edition of the Packfiller podcast. Tonight, we have a very special occasion for you. Sit back. Enjoy it all. Mm, what is it, Pat? Well, on the show tonight, I had the fine opportunity to get the the great Steve Bauer, Canadians. I, I call him the godfather of, of Canadian cycling. He is on the show tonight. I had a chance to catch up with him, talk to him about his career, about his thoughts on the sport and where everything has been and is going. Um, issues dealing with the, the team, with Spider Tech, how that all worked out, how that all is going to go into the future, and what he's got up his sleeve. So I'm going to shut my pie hole, boys and girls. And without further ado, my interview with Steve Bauer. All right, since joining the Canadian national team back in 1977, tonight's guest has garnered a multitude of accomplishments, including national championships, five of those, a silver medal at the 1984 Olympics, bronze at the World Championships. He's competed in 11 Tours de France, including 14 days in the yellow jersey, best finish of fourth in 1988. He won the 1989 Championships of Zurich, and in 1994, he was awarded the Meritorious Service Medal for his work paving the way for Canada's coming generations of cycling enthusiasts. I'd like to welcome to the show the great Steve Bauer. Steve, welcome aboard. Yes, good day, everyone. Hey, how are you, man? I'm good, I'm good. Good. Hey, you know, I just kind of want to jump right into it, and and I know I've got a, I've had a lot of questions from a lot of people who follow the podcast, and, and we'll try and fit those in, but uh, you definitely can be referred to as, as probably the most decorated and accomplished cyclist in Canada's history. You more or less pioneered the sport into the top ranks, in my personal opinion, 
tell me about when you first started racing. Was the concept of what you were trying to attempt even feasible? I mean, was it even heard of at that time? I guess the answer is uh, no. Um, you know, I, I I got into cycling, uh, you know, competitive cycling a bit by fate. I, you know, I always loved to ride my bike. I, you know, I played hockey. I was athletic. I did gymnastics at school. Um, but I, I really, um, you know, jumped into the sport when when my mother realized I was getting into too much trouble in the summer and I didn't have a <laughs> summer sport. She said, "Why don't you go check out uh, the St. Catherine Cycling Club?" And uh, I think I was 15 at the time, and I jumped in and watched some of the races they were doing, and then I started racing. And, and you know, immediately I, I, I was, you know, I was just caught by the bug of, of, you know, a sport that's actually really racing, you know, head-to-head and, you know, piloting a machine, et cetera. So, you know, that that's where it started. And, you know, I had no idea who, uh, you know, Eddie Merckx was or, uh, you know, I, I had no kind of um, role models. My role models were, you know, pro hockey players. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah, and you mentioned that you had those kind of sports involved in school. Being, a, you know, an, an American here, you mentioned gymnastics program. Was that a common program there? And was cycling anywhere? What kind of amateur resources were there for an amateur? Well, you know, high school gymnastics. I mean, I like to, I like to, yeah. you know, fool around the trampoline and you know, <laughs> high bar. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't really that good a gymnast, but I think it's, you know, it's kind of one of those core you know, all around sports that, that gives, uh, you know, a guy strength and skills and balance and all that stuff. But, you know, I, I didn't go very far in gymnastics, just one of the sports that I enjoyed to do when I was in high school. When cycling, when you got the cycling bug, was that pretty much it? Was it nothing but that from there on? Pretty much. Yeah. It was, um, it was only one, uh, year later or two years later that, that I joined the, the Canadian team, you know, first as a, as a junior recruit. And then, that same year, rode the team pursuit in uh, Venezuela at the World Cycling Championships, and, and the, actually the junior team pursuit in, in Vienna as well. So, I mean, from then on, I was sort of a tracky for five, uh, six years, through 82, sort of 82, 83, and then I transferred to the road um, about 83, really. 82, 83 is kind of like a transfer in the amateur ranks into the onto the road. Okay. I remember seeing you over here in, in the Mangione colors and things like that, too. So um, the transition over to road, was that a fairly smooth one? Did you find that road was obviously more tailored to your liking? Or I, I think it suited my, my uh, physical makeup better, you know, as an you know, endurance, more endurance athlete. And, you know, I, I was good on the points race team pursuit, but not necessarily in the sort of the more match sprint kind of event so as i as i started to realize i was more a road kind of makeup guy um and and i learned learned to train hard enough and long enough um you know actually with the with the help of you know or or sort of the vision of of lamont like mangoni put uh, greg lamont and i in touch about 80 uh, when did greg win the worlds i guess it was 82 no 80 83 Three. won the worlds in in uh switzerland and, uh, you know, training with Greg in California, I realized that what you needed to do to, to train for, for as a pro, you know, like long distances, six, seven hours and stuff like that. And, and that boosted my sort of uh, realization that, that I, I never trained hard enough as a road guy. And that, that was sort of a, a gestalt, you know, you got to put the miles in and put the, put the tough rides in in the spring. And, and it was, uh, 
you know, then, then the Olympics in 84, I, I, I started to become successful as a road rider. That was definitely a big moment in your career that day uh, in Los Angeles. How do you look back on that day? Uh, kind of like the agony of defeat. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, after, you know, it's all said and done, you know, you stand on the podium and a silver medal is, is uh, you know, nothing nothing to be uh, shy about. And, you know, I was certainly proud of that race. But, you know, yeah, you look back and, you know, certainly I made mistakes. I was overconfident. Uh, Alexi nailed me, you know, in the sprint. And uh, he'd worked on his sprint a lot, I understood, from, uh, you know, Ron Kiefel and other, other boys that, you know, that were closer to him. And, and I just underestimated that he that he worked so hard on that that you know, final finish, and you know, nine times out of ten, I would have beat him, but that day I didn't. Yeah, that was that was a tough one. I got I got to tell you, man. Hey, so your career definitely, we can say, took place of a lot of firsts for American and Canadian cycling for North America as a whole. How hard was that transition from amateur to professional? Especially, you went from straight to the Olympics to a bronze at the Worlds, which showed there had to be you had incredible preparation to make that jump to those ranks. Was it that big of a jump? Well, it, it, inevitably it wasn't. And again, it comes down to, you know, training like a pro, even as as an amateur. I mean, I, I was going out doing long training rides, uh, you know, in August with, with Lamont and Phil Anderson. And like I, I was training with those guys, you know, and, and we would go into the mountains in Spain during the week before the Barcelona Worlds. And like I, I wasn't going on the front very much. I was basically hanging on to their wheel. But I mean, my you know, just by following those guys, like put me in, you know, the condition of my life. Right. And, and, um, the heat was, was good for me. Like I, I never had a problem in the heat. Barcelona worlds was a super hot day and guys were falling off left and right with dehydration. And, uh, you know, same with the Olympics. It was a super hot day and that, that really suited me. And so, um, you know, and then in, into the, into the pro ranks, I mean, it's I super fortunate to turn pro with, a you know, one of the top teams in the world at the time and great mentor in Paul Coakley and, uh, you know, Bernardino and Lamond and, you know, other English speaking, uh, you know, great riders like Nicky Reutemann, et cetera. You know, I, who, who could ask for a better team to turn pro uh, for? And I think that that, that sort of environment, um, leadership and just the right, the right sort of uh, balance uh, the transition was, 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 I wouldn't say it was easy, but I, I was ready. And I wasn't young anymore either. I mean, it was, I was already 24, 25 years old. Uh, so I wasn't like a 21-year-old going to, to Europe for the first time, so to speak. So that, that helped for sure. Definitely one of what I consider one of the first major super teams was La Vie Claire when you, when you turned over to that team. Um, I can only imagine what what it had to have been like to be on a team with so many incredible strong riders and powerhouses at the time um was what was you know with with the likes of working with both greg and bernard you know i mean i can only imagine how that had to have been and was it was it a relaxed environment was it highly stressful especially later on once we had that kind of the battles between greg and bernard there as things started to transition yeah i mean it was I mean, it, it also came from the leadership. Coakley, uh, yeah. Paul Coakley, has you know a really level-headed Swiss, you know, uh, director, um, a good a good mediator, you know, between personalities and and you know speaking multiple languages. Um, obviously, I mean not obviously, but I didn't really speak French at the time, and you know the language of the team was 
was French, but we spoke English, and you know, and there's other riders that spoke Swiss German. Mm-hmm. So just from the culture, there was there was you know a, a really good sort of connectivity among different uh, different nationalities, and then you know having having sort of two different kind of leaders, uh, you know, he know the, the you know the Frenchman, you know that well accomplished, obviously had won. You know, four Tour de France's before yeah. he won his fifth in '85. You know, and Greg, that you know, the up and coming American, you know, amazing talent. Uh, you know, you know, Tour de France winner to be, so to speak, and sort of that different dynamic of two different sort of uh, perspectives on yeah. you know how to prepare or how to how to how to you know read a time trial. You know, how to how to attack a race, and you know, they they both were you know amazing. Um, yeah, I, I call them mentors, commenters, yeah. leaders that 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 help you know me in in my first years of uh, of my career. Did you ever find yourself pulled in one direction or the other? I I do have to say I just read an article, an interview from Greg, um, where he he and he and Kathy both had nothing but beautiful things to say about you. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet, but did you find yourself having to choose one side or the other, especially during that '86 tour where things got pretty hairy? Yeah, it came down to, I mean, the 85 tour, which uh, Hino won, and, and Greg was uh, ultimately held back when when when, when uh, Hino was suffering and yeah. was injured, and, and, you know, Coakley held him back, and, you know, and, and Greg was really sort of upstri- upset and frustrated that he might have won his first tour in 85, but 86 was really, you know, in my mind, it was for Greg, and, and you know, especially... Um, you know, once once he he sort of established himself, and you know, he know played a pretty coy tactic, you know, in the Pyrenees, I think it was, and yeah. uh, attacking ahead with Bernard Jean-François Bernard and and Cabestania, I think it was, or somebody one Spaniard, and and Greg and Levy Clairboys, including myself, where we wouldn't couldn't couldn't really do too much except like you know chase down our own teammate and, yeah. and sort of. But but then he you know uh, he went out and and ultimately blew it uh, the following day where he tried to he tried to bury the race and and he went out solo from the Tourmalet and uh, eventually Hampston and and Greg caught him up on the final climb and you know they turned the tables there and then then it was kind of like a a toss up but once once Greg con- took control of the race I mean it was it was definitely for Greg I believed and and it was Greg's shot at at taking it. And he know you know pushed him to his ultimate limits, uh, and you know w- w- continued to try to win the race. And he, you know he know would say he did it for his own good, right? But yeah. um, <laughs> you know the team was completely divided. Uh, you know English speakers and Swiss on one side, and and obviously <laughs> all the Frenchmen on the other. It was a pretty uh, strange dinner table th- those nights. But I, uh, I particularly rem- remember one. Race, um, Deleuze, uh, no, it was in Saint Etienne, I think. And uh, he know, uh, Le Mans was in front uh, over the top of the climb that would ultimately send into Saint Etienne. And he know was chasing with uh, some other team, some other teams chasing. And then when Greg was caught, he know attacked with some other riders and it was, it was myself and, and, and some of our teammates chasing, chasing, you know, uh, (laughs) and then, uh, you know, then the, the final time trial sort of decided things. But, uh, 
uh, you know, and ultimately Greg, Greg, uh, won his first tour that year. Oh man. I can only imagine, especially having that, you guys obviously had to have been flying at the time to be able to have a divided team and still control a race of that magnitude. That's, that's, that's unbelievable. Do you still maintain contact with a lot of those guys with Andy, with, with Greg, with even Bernard, you know, or anybody like that? It's, it's really, you know, kind of periodic. It's yeah. not, it's it's not sort of a reach out. I, I know I've reached out to Greg, you know, several times over the years, and uh, you know, Greg's I don't know he's 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 got his own thing going a bit, um, and 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 I haven't heard much from from Greg, but uh, every once in a while Andy or or other riders, but it kind of sort of comes to uh, you know what what's happening, and you know if, if there's some some kind of team reunion or you know you you bump into each other at at a at a bike race. Um, but everybody's, I think, pretty pretty busy and focused on their own gig, you know. So it's it's not there's not sort of really uh, close connections anymore. Okay, you had several teams that you rode for um, throughout the t- the years: uh, Weinman, the Swiss, Seven Eleven, Saturn, and of course La Vie Claire. How what was it? How how could you compare the teams? What was the the environment like in each and every one of those? I know that they all went, especially Seven Eleven at the time, claiming that you know they they kind of changed the way a team is operated. Yeah, you know the I mainly had two uh, main leaders in, in, throughout my my career, with the exception of Saturn, and that was you know Paul Coakley and, and yeah. Jim Ockwitz. So. Um, you know, I, I was really fortunate to have, uh, you know, two men to lead the teams I raced for that, you know, had, uh, you know, clear vision about, you know, what they wanted to accomplish. Um, very, very uh, sincere, you know, clean, focused, uh, program-oriented uh, leadership. Um, you know, and I was, re- I'm really thankful that, that that's, that's where I ended up, you know, um, and, you know, both, both a little bit different styles. By the mm-hmm. time I, I turned, uh, to the American organization with Jim, they were, they were well established. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they'd done their breakthrough, um, racing, you know, with Davis and, and Ron and, and Andy, you know, they, they did some great things before I, I came to 7-Eleven. So when I joined 7-Eleven, it started in the final the final whoop in 1990 before, uh, you know, it became Motorola. Um, but yeah, fortunate, fortunate to have two great leaders, uh, in all the teams I raced for. Do you think any of those teams at those given times, let's say we were able to put it on an equal playing field. Do you think any of those guys could compare to, uh, any of those teams could compare to like a current, one of the strong teams like a sky or, or even what we're looking at, you know, in terms of the top teams in the world, how would Lavi Claire compare? Do you think against those, if we were able to, equal out the playing field <laughs> uh that, that's that's an interesting question i think uh, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that keeps I, me up at night <laughs> yeah but, you know i i think i think there's there's no question that levy uh, the levy claire group uh could compete with with a with a top team you know in its you know in, within, within its era and and you know yeah. If if we if we had like DI two shifting and uh, we <laughs> we had like SRM systems back then, you know, I mean, the, the back then we trained on heart rate monitors. I mean, I think SRM systems came into play um, actually during Greg's time. Greg Lamont, yeah. I remember he started to work with the the German boys that that started to develop that that uh, that sort of uh, tool. Um, but yeah, all things being equal, I think the talent. 
uh, no, there's no question with with Hino and Greg and um, you know diff- different riders that that we had on our group international components. Uh, we'd be competitive with the sky. At least I would hope so. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know. It, you you never want to say ah we were better than those guys and sure you and, do and I, and I always try to shy away from you know you know Merckx was the be- best rider of all time or you know Indurand or or, yeah. or you know it's 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 uh they're they're just different times the you know sport different is. times cycling has evolved tremendously yeah yeah okay um, what would you consider from from your years of riding your greatest accomplishment uh, fourth in the tour. Yeah, um, you know, just because of the, the 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 difficulty and the size of the tour, and everybody gets up for his, his game, and you know, I, you know, climbing those mountains, like I had to be, you know, at my best and my my top form to really, you know, pull that performance right. And you know, I, I didn't do it year in year out, but there's a couple times I, I had some great tour performances. You know, tenth in my my actually my rookie year, yeah. um, and and also you know I think that on the one day events, um, you know the 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 race I actually had a puncture where Greg won in '89 in in Chambéry. Um, you know, I, I was basically in the peak of my form. '88, '89 were were extremely big years for me, and. Uh, you know, losing that world that year to a flat tire was uh, is probably the best one-day race I rode in my career with the amount of climbing, and um, I was just right on, you know. So that that's unfortunate that I had a puncture because I think that that was my best performance in a one-day race. Well, that takes away my next question, which was if you had any regrets, and obviously a, a bad tire would have been one of them, but <laughs> is there anything you kind of walked away going, God, I wish I would have done this a little differently? Well, I can look at Perry Roubaix for second place and and losing by a centimeter and uh, oh, but that can't be something you would re- blame yeah, yourself that for. That just, was you know you, you look at it and you think okay, well I think you know Plankard and I were both like you know none of us neither of us threw our bike in, in, in the right time and it's almost like my I almost like thinking back to my track experience it actually it helped and went against me at the same time because my track experience helped my sprint by coming underneath the van um van hoydonk mm-hmm. but but the the sort of the 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 instinct on a track is that the finish line is is more like into the banking right and yeah. and i i was you know you're you're sprinting so hard almost with your eyes closed is everything sort of black and and um i was thinking that the line was like another like you know two three meters right mm. just, just just by the track instinct how the finish yeah. line goes closer to the banking so Whereas they, uh, Roubaix is such a big track, it's almost like the 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 straightaway was quite short. Is quite short, oh, wow. and uh, I don't know that that sort of that sort of blew it for me, I suppose. Oh man, okay. Um, describe now your shift from team from rider to director. Obviously, with Cycle Sport Management, this is a company that you you created, and to take that, obviously, what I'm just from listening to what you've been saying so far, talking about the ability to read a race and read a time trial and understand specific elements, um, was there was it always an intention to go into team directing? Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. No, um and it's it's kind of interesting because um you know, several individuals asked me to direct over the years and, you know, for uh, quite a long time and even even now, I was doing uh, Steve Bauer bike tours. Yeah. And the timing was just sort of not right. Um, so, you know, Jim Aquitz asked me sort of in, in the end of my racing career um, when the U.S. Postal Service started, I think, uh, uh the, what's his name? Mark Gorski was yeah. involved then, and he he said, "Oh, would you be interested? You know, maybe we sign for a year and we race for a year and then direct." And then um, Lance asked me when Johnny Welts moved moved on, and um, I think Saturn Cycling Team came back at some time and asked me, and th- there were some others. Okay, <laughs> so, wow. And each time was sort of now the time and. And I never, never sort of wanted to go that direction. But when, when I sort of got the itch to get involved in the sport again, like from the professional world, um, and there was, you know, some some good millings around in, in Canada and some good athletes coming up. And uh, it just seemed like the right time to start something and build it. And uh, so that's, that's what Jose and I did. You know, so we, 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 you know, started small as a continental team and, you know, started to build it. And over five years, uh, I think we, did, we accomplished some great things in Canada. Unfortunately, we, we just, we just couldn't continue to grow. And, uh, you know, spider tech inevitably, you know, cut the strings fairly late in the fall, unfortunately, and, uh, left in limbo. Okay. Is there any status on what's going on for 2014? A website saying, hey, stick with us. We're going to be back. Things like that. I mean, do you want, if you don't want to comment or anything like that, you don't have to, but I just, it was great to see it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in all honesty, you know, it, it would be, it would be amazing to get the team back. And I think, you know, in, in sort of its initial hibernation and, and you know, making sure the, the riders had their career path you know, solidified and, and, you know, then, then we, we really wanted to go back at it hard, but, uh, you know, the timing of, you know, the, the world of professional cycling and the, in the history book that's unfolded, you know, with, with doping and, um, you know, just the, the structure at the top of the UCI, you know, fighting with WADA and, you know, and, and, and teams and, you know, potential professional league takeovers. It just seems like there's such an imbalance um, there, there needs to be a, there needs to be some balance and some structure that comes back at the top. And, you know, that all that 
stuff is really demotiv- demotivating to you know go after big sponsors because it's a huge huge ask um and so you know it, it takes a bit of, it's going to take a bit of time I, I love to get the team back but i don't think it's tomorrow yeah uh and it's just a bit unrealistic to you know as much as you know we really thought we could turn it around um it might take a little bit more time than that what are your to just you know not to dredge through it? I hate I hate having to come back to this, but it is a huge black eye uh, that we're all trying to heal right now. Uh, what are your thoughts on the on our current state, the state of our sport, um, and what do you think about the 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 pressures of of past riders of having to use PEDs? Well, it's without a, without question, there seems to have been you know a fairly black era in the sport where, um, you know, call PEDs were, were, were on, on, sort of detectable. And the, the current status of, of that is, is much, much better in my mind. And, you know, cycling has, has taken a, a big lead on trying to curtail, you know, doping in sport, which is, you know, most sports don't even, don't even think about it, just yeah. keep it behind closed doors. So, you know, it, it's 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 too bad for us that we've you know been the black sheep, but are actually we're further advanced than most professional sports because I, I really believe that the culture you know has changed tremendously. You know, teams are you know saying that that this is enough. Uh, you know, the bio passport uh, should stay the course and help tremendously. Um, so I you know I I, I think. You know, like I said before, the history book that's sort of been unveiled is is not representative of what's going on. Um, but that's I don't think that that's necessarily the biggest problem anymore because of the it is much, much better. now that now the structure of the sport has to get back to good business, you know, get along, yeah. uh, you know, create a structure that's reasonable. Um, I think the world tour is too huge, uh, too much demand, like the, the, you know the teams are are, are are too big and too fat like I don't I just don't see the quote business model uh, working right now so some something has to stabilize and get balanced for for the sport to um, to to sort of you know get back on track and, and there's I think it'll take a few years okay did you ever experience in your career any of these pressures any of these types of things I've read I've read numerous interviews by writers of your era and uh, Greg for example says he never experienced any of it he heard tales of it and you know and heard of other writers experiencing it did you ever experience any of that any pressure well, I, I mean I, I was I was fortunate that that you know I was getting older when you know EPO was was starting to be prevalent and and you know, you'd see things going on that, that just didn't seem, you know, reasonable anymore. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I was lucky. And, and I, I believed in myself that, you know, I could beat the best guys in the world. And I did prove it that um, with, without, without taking performance-enhancing drugs. And so, yes, I, I, was, I was lucky that I wasn't uh, younger, you know, yeah. And getting into involved in the pro sport when when the escalation of use was was prevalent, um, and I was also fortunate that you know I raced for directors like Paul Coakley and Jim Okowitz had you know a, a clear vision that that wasn't part of a, a you know a structured like doping was not not prevalent it wasn't part of the part of the picture at all 
Um, I don't I don't know if it would have been different had I turned pro for you know another you know quote national team like uh, you know I'm not going to name anything no, but yeah. yeah I was fortunate I was in the right organizations. Okay. Um, Talk to me about the state of Canadian cycling. Um, you, you seem to be doing a lot of work for representing cycling in Canada. Um, first of all, I can only imagine what it was like uh, as a Canadian to have ride in the Giro last year. Phenomenal. Yes. Uh, you know, an unprecedented uh, performance by a Canadian athlete, um, you know, not only in cycling, but I think, uh, you know, impressive, you know, to compare with any, any Canadian performance in the, in the recent history. Just phenomenal. Yeah. So, I mean, is there, is there an effort being made that you, that you are a part of or that there's something involved in, in Canada that seems to be going? Your current endeavors, for example, which we're going to talk about, the Canfondo, uh, and uh, also your project work around the Pan Am 2015 Velodrome project. Yes. It, well, um, you know, with, with the churn in the pro world and, you know, looking at, you know, all the important layers of Canadian cycling and, and one one was obvious in the last five years we're aiming to bring a Canadian team to the world tour. Um, you know, it's obviously that we didn't we didn't get that that done immediately. Um, but I decided, well, you know, let let's focus a little bit back on the grassroots because um, you know, without without some youth development, you know, there weren't there won't be, you know, those those future pros and Velodrome coming into um, Milton, Ontario, not far from Toronto, um, you know, smack dab in, in the biggest population of Canada. It's, it's just a tremendous opportunity to to sort of rebuild the, the sport, you know, recruit new talent. Um, you know, it's going to be a fantastic venue. It's a beautiful, beautiful structure, well-designed. And so the Seabauer Canfondo came about, you know, A, the right sort of, you know, new thing to do, even though it's not new. I mean, there's a lot of grand fondos and a lot of competition and participation events, but we decided that we would, uh, you know, focus on doing something for the velodrome because they need to raise some funds for the capital campaign and support that, you know, initiative long-term. And the other was youth cycling. So we we're going to create a protege event within, within the can fondo. So it's a, our, our quote beneficiaries that are, much more about cycling than, you know, raising funds for, um, you know, cancer or hospitals yeah. or other, other sort of ailments. We're focused completely on cycling. Now, talk, you, you talked about the event going on within it. Tell me about what, that, what that's all about. Well, my, my, my vision for the youth was, you know, for the master guys who basically fuel, you know, the grand fondos, so the masters, ladies, and men mm -hmm. that are, you know, the boomers, baby boomers like myself. Uh, <laughs> You know they're welcome to, to engage a, a protege for for free. So basically, you know, we want to sort of hopefully recruit a lot of new cyclists and you know provide an event for for youth uh, that are already involved um, because events for 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 youth are are have have lost traction here in Canada since I was a junior. Um, you know, back in the '70s when I went to junior race, I mean I can remember as many 75 guys competing and. I would highly doubt that there's that many consistently. I mean, we should have doubled the, the number, you know, you'd think 30 years later. Absolutely. But um, it's not happening. I, I know there's some good stuff going on, but I think that a lot more can be done. And 
um, I think it's worthwhile to invest some of my time in that. This is a subject we talk about on this show quite often in terms of junior development. I, I too, was a product of a junior racing program where we had 40, 50 kids on our club alone. And you would go to start lines and you'd see uh, just a gigantic field of juniors. And now for me to show up at a race as a master, which is that constant overpowering demographic of what the sport has become, um, to see the lack of junior fields, it's it's heartbreaking, and I think that there needs to be something where there's a so strong effort by all of these cyclists, especially us who came up through a junior program, to create that for kids again because it is such a wonderful sport for kids, but it just seems like there's not enough effort being done in it. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know not all the kids are going to become you know pro athletes or, or Olympic champions, but um, you know what I find is that if they, if they catch the bub, they love cycling. It's a life sport. Uh, you know, they, they can do it for the rest of their lives for, you know, for health and wellness or, you know, transportation or whatever, whatever they use. It's just yeah. a great sport for life. Absolutely. I agree. Now tell me about the, the, uh, the event itself. What kind of course can we expect? Um, personally, I'm, I'm planning out an itinerary. I might be driving my sorry ass up there. I, I hear Phil Liggett's involved. What's going on with that? Yeah. So, so, uh, Phil Liggett's going to be our, our master ceremonies um, where I'm, I'm looking and talking at recruiting some more uh, celebrity guests so we can we can create a buzz for our VIP uh, component of the event. Um, the the long term goal would be to, you know, start and finish at the at the velodrome venue, which will be oh, wow. open in September of 14. Um, so it, the, the, the course is 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 built around all the uh, the main populated areas of, of southern Ontario. So if you put Guelph kind of in the middle of the, the Can Fondo course, that, that would be it. So it skirts Kitchener-Waterloo, uh, Guelph, uh, Milton, Hamilton to the south. So it's very close to a large population. The, the course itself is, is a scenic rolling um, Ontario rural terrain um part of it goes along the grand river which is which is quite a famous uh fishery if anybody's like keen to come up and throw some flies in the in the river in the fall but wait are you a fly over, fisherman it's not overly tough you know there's not you're not gonna find like you know in any monster climbs yeah. but it'll be it'll be wearing because it's never flat uh you know quite a few you know changes of direction um and you know, it, we we just we just skirt up all the populated areas, so there's not a lot of like you know, in in city stuff. So it should should be it should be a fun course. Uh, we got a great venue for the start and finish, and uh, yeah, we're looking for a great day. Distances for the riders. Yeah, we're going to do the the, the Can Fondo will be 162 and a half kilometers, so okay. like a you know a true hundred miles. Yeah. And then uh, you know, Medio Fondo will be the half distance, and the Protege we're gonna we're gonna cut it short at about. You know, 48, 50 kilometers with with uh, you know cutoffs for you know the the more challenged or the or the or the younger crowd that that just might not be capable to do 50 k's. But uh, there'd be lots of options um, you know within within those distances. Okay. And now, where can uh, where can listeners find out information on that registration information and whatnot? It's uh, pretty simple. It's canfondo.com. Straightforward. I like it. Okay. Uh, what, what else is keeping you busy these days, man? I mean, you, what, you, you've got you've got the kind of the management company or is, is the bike tour company still going strong? 
Well, you know, we had a had a quite a strong five year focus on bike team, but we never yeah. we never uh, relinquished the bike tours, and and uh, we we always did trips every year. Um, you know, mainly race trips or customized a lot of, a lot of custom customized VIP trips. Uh, and this year, this year we're, we're we're back in the game, offering a Giro trip and a Tour de France trip. You know, the the tried and true and and the good stuff. So both of those trips are the last week of each uh, of each event, which is you know the sort of the suspenseful you know gotta go week of of each race. And you know, so that that's that's back engaged. And of course, the Can Fondo is going to be a lot of work. Um, but yeah, I'm also looking forward to riding my bike a little bit more. So, uh, um, you know, getting back on the home trainer, believe it or not, just to, to, to feel what it feels like to suffer. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, the first few sessions, we put on the Lord of the Rings trilogy to get get through some through some hours, and that that went okay. So, I don't know what trilogy we'll do next. Maybe the Godfather or something like that. But oh, no. that's nice and depressing to keep you through. <laughs> Anyway, it's something to keep your mind attached yeah. uh, other than, like, you know, the pain in your legs. Yeah, we always figured if you want to live forever, just spend your life on your trainer because time takes so much longer when you're on that thing. So you're, so you're, do getting, it, you're getting in quite a few miles. How many, how many bikes you got in the house, just out of curiosity? Uh, there's a few uh, frames and, you know, mountain bikes and, uh, you know, a few Argons that, uh, okay. um, you know, just, just happen to be around. But, yeah, not not too many. You know, road bike, mountain bike, uh, a couple of kids' bikes, uh, you know, when the little guy's around. And, you know, that's about it. But, uh, yeah, there's just still a lot of team bikes in the warehouse. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hey, I just got to say, I just recently discovered uh, the big effort that's being made at that Trans Canada Trail uh, uh, that you guys that Kim, well, not you, but that Canada has put together. It's uh, and it seems like there's a big movement for that kind of activity, and I think it's really cool what's going on. So I I, I applaud what you guys are doing, especially with the junior development program. The Canfondo, the Velodrome project, it sounds like it's all really coming together. It sounds like you guys are in kind of another resurgence or a movement here. Well, we, we, we hope so. I, again, I think the, the Velodrome is, is going to be a real key to the, the sports side of things. And, uh, you know, it, it's just going to be a beautiful facility for the community as well. It's going to be multi-sport and be able to play basketball, badminton. There's a running track in it. There's a there's a, a fitness center, you know, high-performance center. Um uh, state-of-the-art beauty facility and you know it's pretty pretty excited to have it you know can't wait to see what's going to go on there but uh um you know i i think we're far from you know the sky model uh to you know develop you know the next cavendish and and the next wiggins but um you know as that stuff starts from the velodrome and, and a good structure and, and get more kids involved and maybe 10 15 years from now we'll be back in the back in you know one of the leaders in cycling who knows well hey you, you got a tour you got a zero winner and that's not a bad way to get rolling into it no that's not not too bad all the best for rider this year so uh canfondo.com is where people can find out about that um your tours website what's that so the, the website's doing uh needs a little bit of work but Uh-oh. it'll be up pretty soon okay uh, but that's stevebauer.com okay so you, we, can also, you can also check facebook we have uh you know steve bauer bike tours on facebook so if you if you do a little search for that you'll be able to find some info on uh on uh the bike tours awesome that was how i found you and then you know 
that was a great way to do it. So, uh, Steve, I want to thank you so much for your time, man. I, uh, as, as a junior and as a wannabe, I, I followed your career extremely closely over the years, and um, I've, I've loved watching your race, and I'm really excited to see what, what is coming next in the, in the world of Canadian cycling. So thanks a lot, man. Real pleasure. Thank you very much, Patrick. Appreciate your time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.